This morning, I want to pick up again where we left off last time. If you haven't noticed, these first few sermons, I don't always do it this way, but these first few series sermons have been kind of a series, right? We've been building line upon line, thought upon thought, trying to help us move to the point where we're able to start thinking about building a, a strategic plan for real growth in our church, for explosive growth. That's what we want, isn't it? And, and I know the sermons have been kind of spread out with different messages in between, but I hope you can kill, still kind of follow along with the big picture just by way of review. And then we'll get into our topic in just a moment. The very first sermon I preached as your pastor, we talked about how God wants to do a new thing. Amen. Something big, something exciting here in New Albany, something powerful. Then the next sermon I preached, we talked about how the key to experiencing God's power in our church is for our church to have a clear sense of purpose, right? Purpose precedes power. And the way we grow in purpose is by being clear on our mission and also having a clear vision or a plan to get that mission done. Last time, it was my third sermon, uh, we talked about, anyone remember the word we talked about last time? It was a big word, a key word. Paradigms. I talked about paradigms, right? And how what's needed is not just a slight change in our existing way of doing things, little small tweaks, but what we need is a radical paradigm shift, a change in the underlying model that shapes everything we do in our church. Because the paradigm determines everything. It determines the goals that we set, the methodology that we use, how we measure success. Everything is driven by our paradigm. And if we want to see New Testament results, we have to have a New Testament paradigm. Amen? And the paradigm, at least as far as I can tell in the New Testament, it was a paradigm of spiritual multiplication, where every person that comes into the church is equipped and empowered to go back out and win someone else. So there's rapid, explosive spiritual multiplication. That's the paradigm of the New Testament church. But that may have raised a question in your mind. If it's true that this is the method that God wants us to use. This is the paradigm. This is the strategy we have to follow. That somehow we have to pursue spiritual multiplication. Then why is it that so few churches are doing it? Why is it that there are so few workers in our church? I mean, if this is the one thing Jesus said to do, go make disciples and teach them to observe everything I commanded you. If that's what he said to do, why is it we're doing everything else but that? It's a good question, isn't it? Well, that's our subject for this morning. So I invite you to just bow your heads. I want to kneel and pray for the Holy Spirit to be with us for just a few moments this morning as we study. Father in heaven, we come to you because we sense that you're wanting to do something here. And, and we have some idea of what it's going to look like, what your purpose is, your plan. We, we, we want to be in harmony with you but we don't know how to do it. I'm praying, Lord, that you would give us wisdom this morning. Make your word simple and clear. That's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So why is it that we're not really making disciples? And by disciples, I mean workers, really. Why is it that we're not raising up workers in our churches? Why is there so little real spiritual multiplication? Seems like we're busy doing all kinds of things, but we're not getting the one result that we should be getting in our churches. We have an endless array of programs and activities, but 
why are there so few workers? If the real problem really is the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few, then why are we not focusing more on solving this problem? Why, why can't we raise up more effective laborers who are regularly, consistently winning souls to Christ? Is there something possibly that we're missing? I believe at least part of our problem is that we don't really understand the concept of disciple-making. Now, making disciples is kind of a lost art these days. It's not really a part of our culture anymore at all. I had a number of chances to go to Korea at different times through the years, and I saw some amazing things that God was doing there in Korea. Particularly, I was impressed with how rapidly Korea modernized in, say, the last 20 or 30 years. It's amazing transformation. But if I'd gone to Korea, say, 100 years ago or 200 years ago, I would have seen much more disciple-making. For example, I might have seen someone that was a great martial artist, and he had his disciples, his students, that he was training in his method of combat. Or maybe I might have been able to see someone who is a philosopher, a Buddhist philosopher or whatever, and he has his students that are sitting around him and they're living their life together, learning how to live out a certain philosophy, a certain way of life. Or maybe a certain artist, and he's got a style, and he has his students, his disciples, that are trying to learn his method of performing that kind of art. Or maybe a craftsman, and he has workers, younger workers, that are working with him side by side, learning that particular craft or skill. That was how these specialized skills were passed down 100, 200 years ago. It happens still sometimes in this country. We have apprenticeships programs, something like that. But really, for the most part, the way we do education is very, very different, isn't it, in the United States? I mean, you go off to a school, to a college, you take a class, you do a workshop, you do a seminar, and you sit in a, in a, in a room and you listen to someone speak. You don't even really know them. You may not know their name. He may not know you. And we just soak up some information, we listen, and then we go our way. And that's the end of the relationship. It's not really a discipling relationship. It's just sort of information transmission. You, you see the difference. So when Jesus said, I want you to go make disciples, because it's such a foreign part of it's not even a part of our culture, it doesn't even register with it in our minds what Jesus is saying. If you remember that when we talked about paradigms, one of the things I mentioned is that it shines a light on a really important question. Are we creating people that are just intellectually converted or are we creating real disciples, real workers? Are we focusing just on communicating information, just communicating basic Bible doctrines? Are we just aiming for an intellectual conversion? Or are we focusing on real life nuts and bolts, life transformation, the real implementation of Scripture that changes everything in our personal experience? The, what we focus on tells a lot about our paradigm. Right? Our paradigm drives the methods and our goals and what we're doing, how we do things. Now, information is important. Please don't misunderstand me. Bible truth is precious. Amen? And we have an amazing, powerful message, and we need to proclaim that message. Don't misunderstand me at all. But I think somehow we may have slipped into the mindset without realizing that information alone is all that we need to do. I have news for you. Information alone is never going to produce a church full of workers. It's just not going to happen. 
I mean, sometimes you'll find someone that gets so excited about the message and, and just by sheer willpower or by the power of the Holy Spirit, or, or somehow they just go on and become a worker. But the vast majority of our members, they get excited about our message and they study our message, and, and, but they never become a worker. That's typically what happens. For most people to become a worker, you need a different method of transmission than just the communication of information. Am I making sense? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe you're not sure. To put it a little differently, we're blessed as a church with a lot of information, a lot of Bible truth, a lot of insight into Scripture. Amen? And when you first join our church or first start attending, sometimes it feels like you're drinking water out of a fire hydrant. The water is just coming out so fast you can't hardly even get any in your mouth. And that's fine at first, but it becomes a problem when there's not a corresponding application of that information to our life. If there's no application, then the information, it's not producing the change that it needs to. If there's little real application, what you end up with is a church full of armchair theologians. They're Bible experts. They know all the right things to say, all the right things to think. But there are no workers. There are no workers. Because there hasn't been application. There's only been information. Sadly, this happens all the time in our churches. The reality is, and I kind of hate to say it, but I have to, when it comes to real disciple making, the only thing that really matters in the end is not how much you know, it's how much you do. I mean, that's really the bottom line when it comes to disciple making. It's how much you do that counts. And in a lot of areas, we are not very strong on the practical side of Christianity. Anyone connect at all with what I'm saying? Let me give you an example. Early on in my teaching career, I used to be a teacher for a number of years. I was teaching at one of our schools, an academy. It was one of the best schools in the country, and we had some of the best families from all over the United States would send their kids. We had some of the best kids at any of our schools you, you could possibly imagine. And they had a jam-packed curriculum. But I was given permission to do an elective, non-credit, discipleship class. This means the kids are already have their schedule full from early in the morning till late at night. They're, they could take this class if they really, really wanted to, but they're not even going to get credit for it. So I had like the best kids out of the best group of kids that you could possibly imagine. And I remember meeting with them one time. I, I, I asked them a question. I said, how many of you have been told all your life you should study the Bible? How many of you think raise their hands? Every one of them raised their hand. Yeah, I know I should be studying my Bible. And then I asked them another question. I said, how many of you, and they've been raised in our church all their life. I said, how many of you have ever had someone sit down and show you how to study the Bible so you can get something out of it that's practical, that makes a real difference in your life, your day-to-day -day experience? How many of you think raised their hand? Not a single person. See, the Bible is supposed to be real. It's supposed to be transformative. It's supposed to give us insight for our day-to-day -day experience. And, and somehow we just relegate it to kind of an intellectual, off, off to the side. We just have information, but it doesn't really impact our lives. And that's just a small window on a much more pervasive problem, right? Because the same thing happens in many other areas of the Christian life. We say things to people like, Oh, you need to have a rich, meaningful prayer life. But we don't really show them how to do that, how to have an interactive, two-way communication with God in prayer. We don't teach them how to do it. And so they, 
they just know what they're supposed to do, but they don't know how to do it. Or we tell them, oh, you know, you need to live a life of victory. You need to uh, live a life of, of uh, overcome sin. But then we don't show them how to deal with temptations. And so they struggle and they fail and they get discouraged. We say, oh, you need to be more involved with church activities. But we don't really talk about how to manage your time and juggle your priorities in the right way so your family's needs are met and not neglected. So you need to go out and share your faith, lead people to Jesus, but we don't even teach them the basics of how to witness. You know what happens when you tell people what the Bible says to do and then you don't show them how to do it? It creates frustration. It creates guilt. Or maybe they'll just start to rationalize and justify why they're not doing it, and then you have resistance. Sometimes it does more harm than good. To put it differently, if we're serious about wanting to multiply, serious about wanting to make disciples, to raise up workers, I believe we need a whole new approach to how we teach the Bible. I actually don't like the word teaching so much, even though I've done that a good part of my life. There's a place for teaching for sure. That's what I'm doing right now. I'm just communicating information, just trying to inspire some ideas and communicate some thoughts to you. But it's actually part of the problem. We rely too much on teaching. And in the context of disciple-making, the word I really like to use is the word training. We need training, not so much teaching. Now, what's the difference? I'll give you my definition. You can have a different definition if you like, but here's how I think about it. Teaching is primarily the transmission of information from one person to another. That's important. Sometimes teaching can change a person's thinking. You give them facts, information, whatever. It can, it can change their thinking. We've all experienced that. But training transfers skills. That's how skills are transferred from one person to another. And skills can change a person's entire life. When they learn how to do things they did not know how to do before, it can change everything. It's more difficult, but it's far more valuable. If I wanted to teach you something like the capital of the state of Indiana, or you probably all know that, maybe the capital of North Dakota, right? If I wanted to teach you that, all I have to do is give you that information. All you have to do is remember it. And I've taught you something. You now know that the capital of North Dakota, where is the Levi? He knows. What is it? Bismarck. That's right. Now you know the capital of North Dakota is Bismarck. The capital of Indiana is Indianapolis, right? It is, isn't it? Okay. Just to make sure. But let's say I wanted to teach you how to swim. Am I just going to be able to get up and say, oh, you just wiggle your arms and kick your feet, and you're going to become an expert swimmer? Is that all I have to do? Can I just give you a book and say, read this book, and, and it'll teach you how to swim? Now, it might be helpful. There might be some good tips in the book. But if you want to learn how to swim, what, are you, what am I going to have to do if I want to teach you? We're going to have to go get in the water, and I'm going to have to demonstrate and show you this. And we work at it together, and you just don't learn it immediately. It takes a little time. Right? This is how skills are transmitted. And we have been focusing on teaching information and not training skills in our churches. And it shouldn't be a surprise to us why we have few workers. Can you see the difference? So to recap a bit what we've been talking about these last few weeks, God wants to do a what? In New Albany, he wants to do a, a new thing. Amen? For that to happen, we have to be in tune with his 
purposes. And specifically, his purpose is that we make disciples, that we are able to multiply as a church. If we can do that one thing, if we can learn how to multiply, our church will grow. We'll have explosive growth. If we fail to multiply, it's just a few people doing a, a little bit of evangelism here. We're, we're, we're just going to have normal growth. We want explosive growth. We have to have a whole new method, right? New paradigm. And what I'm suggesting today, I'm kind of adding to this list of ideas. If we really want to make disciples, we have to rethink how we teach in our churches. We have to transition from teaching to training, from imparting information to imparting skills, to move from just changing people's ideas, changing their thinking, changing their beliefs. That's important. But we want to see a change in their entire life. And that comes through skills. Amen? If we can learn to do that effectively, I promise you, we can make disciples and we can begin to multiply and our church will begin to grow. It will happen. I heard one amen. If we can just learn to do it. But how do we do it? <laughs> how do we train biblically? It shouldn't surprise us that the Bible tells us exactly how to do training. It gives us what I like to call the training recipe. It's found in Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. I like to think of it kind of as a toss salad, right? When you make a salad, I don't know how many ingredients there are in that. I see lettuce and tomatoes and onions and cucumbers. you got about four ingredients, and you mix those ingredients together, and what do you get? You get a salad, right? Training has several essential ingredients. If you have all the ingredients in your training, then you're going to have success. But if you're missing even one of those ingredients, your training will not be successful. You understand kind of the analogy I'm making? If you want to have effective training, there's a very simple biblical recipe. It has four ingredients. How many did I say? Four ingredients. And where do we find those four ingredients? What book? Hebrews chapter 5. What verse? I didn't tell you yet, did I? <laughs> Starting at verse 12. Hebrews chapter 5. I guess I should turn there too. Hebrews chapter 5, starting with verse 12. Notice how it begins. For when for the time you ought to be teachers. Now let's just stop here for a moment. Well, Paul is writing to these believers and he's saying, look, you've been Christians long enough. By now you should have become what? teachers, or we could say, you should have become workers by now, but you're still spiritual babes. You're still drinking milk. You're not able to eat strong meat. You're still spiritual babes. The problem is not being a spiritual babe when you first come into the church. You're going to be a spiritual babe. There's things you've got to learn. The problem is when you've been a member of the church for 30 or 40 years, and you've never led a person to Christ. That's the problem, isn't it? By the time you should have become a teacher, you're still a spiritual babe in the real things of God. So Paul is addressing the very same problem that we have in our churches today. I think it's more prevalent today, but Paul had the same thing in his day too. There are people that failed to grow up into spiritual maturity, and Paul is giving us the solution to it right here in Hebrews chapter 5. How many ingredients did I say? Four ingredients. Here's the first one. For when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that, here's the first one, that one teach you again, which be the what? First principles of the oracles of God, and it becomes such as of need of milk and not of strong meat. In other words, Paul is saying, look, 
If you're struggling with spiritual immaturity, what we need to do is first we have to go back to the Bible and not just go back to the Bible in a general sense. We need to go back to the first principles of the Bible, the most fundamental basic teachings of the Bible. I've seen this over the years. Maybe you have too. When a person has been a member of our church for a long time and they've never really had a vigorous, vibrant spiritual experience, it seems like they start going off into tangents and extreme positions. They get imbalanced. They start going down all kinds of rabbit holes. And the reason is because the basic truths of the Bible never worked in their life for them. And so they keep looking for something more. And Paul's saying, no, if you're not a worker yet, if you're still a spiritual babe, you need to go back to the basics, the spiritual fundamental principles of the Bible and study them again. You need someone to teach them to you all over again. So even when I'm working with elders or whoever, we need to start at the beginning of our Christian journey. The problem is not in the simple truths of the Bible. They are the most powerful truths of the Bible. Amen? They will help us, but we have to know how to make those truths work in our life. That's the problem. We were never taught how to use them. So the first ingredient is the Word of God. We have to go back to the Bible if we want to have effective training. Everything we teach or train needs to be rooted in the Scriptures. Amen? I'm not going to waste time teaching anything else. It's not in the Bible. It has to be in the Bible. That's the foundation for everything we do. Second ingredient. Look at verse 13. For everyone that uses milk, in other words, everyone that's still a spiritual babe, everyone that uses milk is what? unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he's a babe. See, the problem is these individuals, they may have had a lot of Bible information, a lot of Bible knowledge. They may be very advanced in their theology, but they never learn the skills to go with that knowledge. They're unskillful. They're still a spiritual babe because they never learned how to use the word of God practically in their life. <coughs> Excuse me. There's a lack of application, a lack of implementation. That's why people don't grow is because information is not combined with skills. That's the difference between teaching and training. You do teaching, you're going to end up with a bunch of spiritual babes. You do training, you're going to end up with strong disciples and workers. Does this make sense? Information needs to be combined with the practical how-tos. We need to show someone how to use that information. We need to model it. We need to demonstrate it. Give people the real-life nuts-and-bolts how-tos. So basically, we have to pass through the basics of Christianity all over again, right from the beginning. But this time when we go through it, we're going to combine the teaching of the Bible with the practical skills that go with it. Third ingredient. How many did I say we have? Four. Third one, verse 14. Strong meat belongs to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of what? Use have their senses what? exercise to discern both good and evil. What are the words use and exercise suggest to you? There has to be... Oh, I heard all kinds of words. They're all blending together. You have to practice, right? There has to be action. You have to put the skills into operation. Practice by reason of use. Their senses are exercised. They have to use that skill over and over again until it becomes natural, automatic, becomes a part of their life. Not just theoretical, they actually have to use that skill. There has to be action. You have to give them some kind of like little assignment to get them started. Something small, something simple that they're going to be able to do and have good success with, right? 
And then after they master that, then you maybe give them another little project, another little task, another little. You, you start training them little by little. You give them action. They have to practice. And then you check up, see how they did. See if they actually learned it. See if they actually mastered that skill, if they, if they did it properly or not. And maybe they need a little help, a little coaching, a little mentoring, how to adjust and improve so they can do a little better the next time. This is how we train people in the workplace, isn't it? I mean, we give them little jobs, and then we watch and see how they do, and then we correct them if, if it's needed, and we encourage them a little. And, you know, but eventually, they master the skill, because that's what we're doing is we're imparting skills. Why don't we do that in the church? Why don't we just give people information? We just go over our fundamental beliefs, and we just expect that they're going to be a master at how to live out our faith. And one last ingredient is actually in verse 14 as well, but it's easy to overlook. Notice again, verse 14, strong meat belongs to them that are of what? Full age. What does that mean? It takes time. Time. That's the fourth ingredient. It takes time. Learning new skills doesn't happen in a day. You have to not just practice, but you have to stick with it for a while. In order to get those skills into your hands, let's say I wanted to become a uh, master carpenter. I had one in my last church. He was an amazing carpenter. He was incredible, right? And so I said, I want to be a master carpenter, so I'm going to go watch a few YouTube videos. And then I'm going to go down to Lowe's or Menards or something. I'm going to go buy me a few tools, a saw and a hammer and a couple things like that. And maybe I'm going to get me a little how-to book. And maybe I'm going to try and build a table or a chair, right? I mean, I, I got the information. I have the skills and the tools. And now I have a project to work on. If I do my first table or my first chair, am I going to become a master craftsman the first time? I mean, it might even turn out all right, but I'm probably going to need a lot more information, a lot more skills, and a lot more practice before I finally am a great carpenter. There's more to learn. It takes time. I have to work with someone, or we have to work with someone if we're training them over and over until the skill gets into our hands, right? It's, it's not just in our minds. It has to be in our hands so we can do it. So our job as a trainer is to stick with them, provide constant encouragement, support, continue to nudge them along, check up on them until they have finally mastered and internalized that skill. That's how training works. So the Bible gives how many keys? Four. Do you remember what they are? Scripture, skills, help me out. What's the next one? Practice and time. Here's how I like to remember it. Try, try, and, uh, try and let this sink in. You tell them why, show them how, get them started, keep them going. Can you remember that? Tell them why, show them how, get them started, keep them going. Say it with me. Tell them why, show them how, get them started, Keep them going. You tell them why from the scriptures. You show them how from your own life. You get them started with little small bite-sized projects. And you keep them going by constant repetition and encouragement. Right? This is the process by which we train. I could give you some examples, but we're running short on time. So let me just skip ahead. We can use this method in every area of the Christian life. We can teach people how to have a real dynamic prayer life. We can, we can train someone how to do that. 
we can help someone learn how to study and find principles and make personal applications so they experience something transformative in their Bible study. We can teach people how to manage their time, how to prioritize their life, and fulfill all their responsibilities in a godly way that's going to be pleasing to heaven. We can teach that. We can train people in these areas. These are skills that people can learn. We can teach people or train people how to witness, how to share their faith, how to share their testimony, how to give a Bible study, how to present the gospel to someone. We can teach these things. But it's a big job. It's a big job. But think about it. If we're serious about finishing the work, and this is the only way to do it is to multiply then we have to learn how to train. There's no other option. We have no other alternatives. Teaching hasn't done it in the last 180 years. It's not going to happen in the next 180 years either. Until we can figure out how to truly impact a person's life so their whole experience changes, we shouldn't even bother to think about expecting change in our church. Right? Change in the church starts with changes in the lives of our members. But I believe we can do this. In fact, I'm confident that we can do this. Over the next few weeks, we're going to do something a little different. Joe gave me a special dispensation, a one-time dispensation. I'm going to be preaching the next four weeks in a row. Okay, I'm not going to do this forever, just for a, one time. And I want to do a series, a little bit of a series, on the basic fundamental principles we need to teach or train our members in. The basic fundamental skills we must have if we're going to become an explosive, growing church. Next three weeks, I'm going to talk about three principles that we, most churches completely overlook that are absolutely essential. We have to have these if we're going to become a growing church. And the fourth one, in the fourth sermon, the last one, I'm going to talk about the power source that drives this whole thing. That's actually going to be my favorite topic. I can't wait for four weeks to get here. Can't think of anything better to preach about. Anyway, so that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be digging deep into this whole idea of training, how to help our members fully grow into workers over these next few weeks. It's not going to be easy, but nothing worthwhile ever is, right? When Jesus was working with his 12 disciples, he spent three and a half years with them. He didn't just teach them. He trained them, right? He imparted skills to them. They were so changed that when men saw them, they knew that they had been with Jesus because they were like him. They didn't just didn't think like him. They lived like him. They had the same ways of doing things. And at the end of his ministry, before Jesus ascended to heaven, he, he talked to his disciples and he says, As my Father has sent me, so send I you. I want you to do the same thing. Take the things I've taught you and I want you to pass them on to the next generation. And they did. They passed it on to the next generation. The, the church at Pentecost, it grew by leaps and bounds. We've studied that. And it wasn't the disciples that was doing all the evangelism. I promise you that. Everyone they won to Christ, they trained, and they won someone else. They went everywhere. Not the apostles, but all the believers. They were scattered abroad, went everywhere preaching the word. They all were doing that. And as long as the church continued to impart skills from one generation to the next, the church continued to thrive and prosper and grow by leaps and bounds. Years later, at the end of Paul's life in 2 Timothy, getting to our scripture reading finally, at the end of Paul's life in 2 Timothy, he was writing to this young man he had invested years in. Verse, chapter 1, verse 14, he said, That good thing which was committed unto you, 
keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. In other words, Paul's saying, look, I've spent years with you and I've committed things to you. I'm not just taught you. I'm not just giving you information. I've committed skills to you. And I want you to keep those skills. Keep them by the power of the Holy Ghost. Keep doing these things. He said, I didn't just give you information. In chapter 3, verse 10, that same book, it says, that was fully known my doctrine. That's part of it. But also my manner of life, my patience, my faith, my, I forget other words, long-suffering, charity, persecutions, afflictions. You know all these things about me. Everything about me. You know it, Timothy. You know my whole life. I've entrusted it to you. I've committed it to you. And then our scripture reading, 2 Timothy 2.2. The things that thou hast heard of me, among many witnesses, the same commit. There's that word again, commit. Not just teach, but commit it to faithful men who shall be able to what? Teach others also. It needs to keep going from one generation to the next. I want to encourage you to start thinking about our need for real life skills so we can grow in our Christian journey. Amen? About how we can really deepen our walk with God, not just our information. we got plenty of that. Most of us have plenty of that. But how we can really deepen our walk with God and how eventually we can become an effective worker for God. Amen? If, if we commit to that, learning the skills of the Christian life, I promise you, your life will become a daring adventure. It's going to never be the same again. At the end of our this next series, I'm going to give you an opportunity to learn some of these skills. But I just want to encourage you to start thinking about it, praying about it right now. God wants to do a, a new thing. Amen? First, we have to align with His purpose. His purpose is spiritual multiplication, to go make disciples. And the only way we're going to be able to make disciples effectively is we have to learn how to train. If that makes sense, I'm closing now. If that makes sense, and you want these kinds of skills in your life, the practical nuts and bolts skills that will change everything, not just new ideas, but new ways of doing things. Let me see your hands if you want this. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you saw once again almost every hand went up. We're moving forward as a church. We want to be a true training center where every member can be equipped and empowered to become an effective worker. Please, Lord, help us in our individual lives. Give us the skills that we need to be successful. Please bless us, I pray. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm.